So Money episode 1148, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It is January 15th, 2021. And guess what? It is the six-year anniversary of this podcast. Time flies, right? I almost didn't remember (laughs) that it was the six-year anniversary. I had to think about it for a second. I was like, is this year five or six or seven? It all just blends together. But I can't believe it. I can't believe I have never done anything for this many years consistently, consecutively, right? Have you? Have you even had a job for seven years or six years? This is a job, right? This is a passion. This is a labor of love that I've been dedicated to for the last six years. And it's thanks to every single one of you and many of you newbies who've joined since January. I'm counting the numbers. I see the big incline in January of uh, new arrivals to this podcast. So thank you for coming here. But if you've been with the show for a while now, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Clearly couldn't do this without you. Could not do a podcast if there was no audience, right? My wish for this year, if I had a birthday wish for this podcast is to continue to grow always, but to Also, build on the momentum that was created in 2020, where I found myself really reacting a lot to what I was hearing in the news, to the things that were going on in my life, to what you were telling me in your comments, in your reviews, in your questions, and and really not having an agenda, so to speak, for this podcast, but really being mindful of the world that we're living in. I know that when you have a podcast that's topical, it's very easy to put your blinders on just talk about Roth IRAs all the time. But I think we need to take a step back and really recognize the world that we're living in or the mood that we might be in that week for whatever reason and talk about money in that context. So you saw a lot of that in 2020, right? With whether it was the Black Lives Matter movement, COVID, and how it upended so many of our lives, whether that meant people becoming unemployed, people getting sick, people losing childcare, having to homeschool their kids and work from home, people who relocated, moved, including myself, recognizing that the world's a different place now. And and the way that we talk about money and relate to money and think about money is allowed to change. I'm the first person to say, you know, that thing I told you three years ago about what to do with your 401k, well, I've changed my mind. You know, most of the financial principles I've talked about over the last 20 years have stuck, but I think that there's room for evolution. And this is really where I think it can begin on this podcast. We can work through this stuff together. I'm working through it too. And I think that's why I've been able to maintain this podcast, to be honest, is because I've given myself permission to not be attached to a format and to use this podcast as a tool for my listeners, but also for me. I'll be the first to admit, I don't have all my money stuff figured out. As I get older and I change my goals and and the world changes around me, that's going to impact my money. And I'm going to be very honest about that with you. And through all of that, hopefully we can you know, feel like we're 
locking arms and going on this journey together. So anyway, not to get too sappy on you, but that is my hope and dream for this podcast in 2021. And what I would love for you to do is to stick with us, share it with your friends, tell your friends that you're listening to this show. I would love to get more listeners. You know, I would love for this show to go more mainstream. Been really lucky so far with um, the growth. We grew about 25% last year in terms of audience growth. And that is unusual in a pandemic. I think um, many podcasts lost their listenership in the pandemic because podcasts are very much a habitual practice, right? And you do this, you listen to your podcast on your way to work, on your way home from work, when you're working out. And a lot of our routines got moved around or shut down in 2020. So that meant also the podcast listening wasn't as frequent, but not here. A lot of you came, stuck with it. A lot of new friends joined. And I see in January, even more people are finding the show for the first time. Isn't that something? You do something for six years and someone's like, you have a podcast? Yes, it's a humbling thing, let me tell you. But it is also very encouraging to know that even after six years, you can attract new listeners. All right, enough about the anniversary in the podcast. I just I just love you guys so much. All right, in the spirit of supporting podcasts, because I know what it's like to be a new podcaster, I wanna support and give a shout out to all my students from our summer program, Pace to Podcast, who launched podcasts this fall. And so today, and for a number of episodes here on out, I'm gonna be highlighting a few of them at a time. Today, I'm gonna say congratulations to Adam Roberts, who's the host of Arts in America. If you're someone who's interested in the arts, who's in particular interested in how the arts prospered during a pandemic, how this moment is gonna change maybe forever, how we create and bring creativity to others, Adam has you covered. His show also tackles how the arts stand firmly behind Black Lives Matter and how the arts give artists of color their long overdue voice. That's Arts in America, hosted by Adam Roberts. If your goal in 2021 is to enhance your lifestyle design, how you live, the clothes you wear, how you organize your space, check out Also in Pink. I love that title. Also in Pink with Alexandria Lawrence. The show offers conversations with industry leaders and influencers, clients and friends about what it means to live well. Next up, if you're into empowering women, Andrea Johnson has a podcast for you called Intentional Optimists, Unconventional Leaders, where you can get weekly tips and advice on how to grow, step up, make a difference and lead. Focusing on everyday amazing women who step up to lead, contributing in their own unique ways and making a difference where they are the unsung heroes for sure. And if you want some workplace strategies, some career strategies, check out Valerie Zarek's podcast, Future Proof Career, which brings strategies for adapting to changes in the workplace. And we know we've had a lot of those in 2020. She invites inspiring guests to provide tips on what soft skills are critical to becoming future proof and how specific industries are changing. All right, it's time to pick our reviewer of the week. This is so fun. I love that I do this because this week we're going to say thank you, thank you, thank you to Golden FL, who left a review earlier this month calling the show an excellent financial podcast. 
He says, I've been binge listening to the So Money podcast for the last six months and I have finally caught up. Oh my gosh, over 1,100 episodes in six months, really? Have you done anything else? (laughs) He says, there is such a great abundance of content. As a man, I find it very enlightening to hear a female perspective on a lot of different topics related to finance. Farnoosh has a very real way of connecting to her audience. It has been refreshing to hear someone who doesn't just preach about money, but rather is helping us find the answers along the way, just as she is doing. As a parent of young kids, I found her discussions on homeschool, working from home, and her decision to move out of the city to be very relevant. Thanks for producing such great content. Oh, gosh, thank you. And it is so nice to hear from a male audience member. It is true. Men listen to this show, and we couldn't do this show without you and all the male guests that come on this show. This is an inclusive podcast, although, of course, many times it may feel very geared to women because it's coming from my life and my perspective, and a lot of our guests are women, but we have not forgotten about the men. And we truly love and respect uh, all the male input and our male listeners like Golden FL. I think it stands for Florida, I'm going to (laughs) guess. But thank you for your review. As a token of my appreciation, I would like to extend a 15 minute phone call where we can talk about whatever you want, anything that's on your mind. If you want to talk about homeschooling or, you know, working from home, all of that stuff that doesn't really seem to be going away anytime soon, reach out. You can email me, Farnoosh at So Money Podcast, and let me know you left the review. I'll send a calendar link where you can select a time for us to chat. I'm going to transition now to our mailbag and ahead of that, introduce our co-host. My friend Oddity Shaker is here to help me navigate your money questions. She's the founder and CEO of Zeta, a tool to help young couples master their money together. I'm an investor in Zeta and I remember Oddity and I having coffee in Brooklyn, I think a couple of years ago where she just wanted to meet and share her idea with me and maybe get some feedback. And I fell in love so much with the concept that I not only gave her advice, I gave her a check (laughs) with some money. And I was like, take this and please do good with it. I just believe so much in the product. It's kind of like mint for couples. That's the way that it's kind of been elevator pitched. It is fast growing, happy to say. Oddity, my friend, welcome back to So Money. And uh, I don't know, can I say Happy New Year? <laughs> I'm not sure it's happy yet. Yeah. <laughs> is it? It's like still just 2020. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. Welcome to 2021. Well, it's great to reconnect um, for listeners who might be new to So Money and aren't familiar with your work and Zeta. Let's catch them up. Zeta and everyone, I'm an investor in Zeta. This is uh, very exciting for me as well to kind of learn about the uh, the latest and greatest on your end, Aditi, as the founder of Zeta. But tell us a little bit about this cool uh, technology that you've built and what we can expect from you guys in 2021. Well, Farnoosh, I'm always happy to come chat with you. Um, as you well know, Zeta, when we originally started uh, building Zeta, our our main goal in life was to help couples and families thrive. Uh, You know, back in the day, we started by launching a personal finance manager for couples. We called it Mint for Couples. Um, And we had tens of thousands of couples sign up uh, to use the money manager, which was incredibly fun uh, to see as a founder and as an entrepreneur. 
But one of the things that we learned from all of the folks who signed up and used the accounts was that they were really hungry for more financial tools and technology to help them thrive in their relationship. And one of the areas that we saw a really interesting opportunity was around this idea of modernizing the joint account. You know, what we were seeing in our research is that couples are earning income in a very different way than our parents' generation did. They are uh, spending that income differently than our parents did. And quite bluntly, they're trying to coordinate with each other around money in a way that, you know, I don't think our parents' generation really did. So we have this really interesting opportunity to think about how those trends in, in how relationships have evolved have an, uh, have a chance to actually impact the financial products we create. So we're launching our sort of our version of the modern day joint account uh, that we're calling Zeta Joint Cards. You can learn about it more at our website, askzeta.com. But really, our goal here is to say, let's start using technology to help everyday families just be a lot more successful with their money. And can I just brag about you for a little bit? Um, <laughs> everybody, so well, thank you for that update. That's super exciting. And I know that a lot of people who listen to this show are in partnerships and always wondering how they can better communicate money with their partner. And I find that always having a tool, a tech piece is always a great centerpiece for at least starting that conversation. And then of course, even better helping you to navigate uh, throughout your relationship. But you yourself as a founder, Aditi, in the fintech space, having now just, you know, 2020 just dropped off, you mm -hmm. know, dropped you off in 2021. Last year, nobody wants to repeat. I would imagine that as an entrepreneur and especially as a, a leader in a in, for a financial company, a strange time. Tell us what were some of your learnings about maybe running a business or just consumer behavior or what did 2020 inform you as a business leader and also as somebody who is really watching the personal finance space? Yeah. So, you know, the really interesting thing for us in fintech is that 2020, surprisingly, was actually a very positive year for many of us and, and especially in consumer fintech. And the reason is because, you know, uh, tech in general has been trying to push forward a bunch of digital solutions around financial products. But the everyday user was always like, well, why wouldn't I just go do this at the branch? Or why wouldn't I go? You know, I want to see my bank in person as I drive by down the street. And all of that really changed. That conversation totally sort of, you know, reset itself in 2020. And so you hear across the uh, sort of across all of these different companies that exist that they are seeing record signups or saw record signups in 2020 mm -hmm. and frankly are expecting them as we grow into 2021. So that was a really positive uh, sort of dynamic for our world and our business. But the other thing that I sort of was very, very aware of is, you know, one in, in four families in the U.S. lost a job and lost an income. So the financial pressure on families and couples has only gotten more intense. And uh, I should caveat, it wasn't that great before. So, you know, we, we are especially excited about the work that we're doing because when we talk to our users and we engage with folks, they say to us that it's, you know, they could use the help. They, they essentially need financial technologies to be built to actually drive good behavior because there's a lot of stuff out there that helps you spend money, but not as much stuff that helps you sort of, you know, 
save and actually pay your bills down the way that you need to. So that was really our focus as a team. And it was in a weird way, uh, you know, 2020 has been good for us to be able to be clear about what our vision is and to make sure that we can have the kind of impact that we want to have. Mm. Well, really excited to have you join me for this particular episode of Ask Farnoosh because our first question is actually from a couple. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave this person anonymous as requested, but here's the question. Hey, Farnoosh, my husband and I are shopping for a new home and debating whether to sell our current home or hold on to it and rent it out. Here's some background on us. We got a great deal on our current home during market lows in 2013, and we were able to pay off the mortgage early a few months ago by saving aggressively and investing well. We paid $180,000 for the home, and now we can sell it for about $300,000. The other option is we keep the home and we rent it out, making $2,000 per month in rental income. Here's where we disagree. My husband and I disagree. He thinks that we should sell the house because prices have skyrocketed. I feel that holding on to this home is a good investment long term since we've already paid it off and the income would cover most of our new mortgage. A new home right now will cost us about $400,000. We can afford the 20% down. We have almost half a million dollars in assets, so we don't necessarily need to sell this home and cash out. And if it matters, she just threw in also, we're in our early 30s, we have a child, and our income is a combined $150,000. Interesting, right? So firstly, I always like to highlight when people ask questions and they always sound insecure or uncertain, I want to point out the strengths that I'm that I'm noticing in these in this in this question. One, clearly they're talking about money, which yeah. may not sound like a big deal, but it is. So it's many huge. couples can't even get this far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really healthy on that front. Two, phenomenal that they've paid off their mortgage. You didn't have to. But right, but you but I love this because what ha- this has really afforded them is some options. Yeah. Now I know they're not on the same page with what to do, but I guess it's a good problem to have. This is a good problem to have. Yeah. So I feel really good about where this couple's at, even though they are at a crossroads, you're going to find a good solution. Now, Aditi and I are going to try our best to help you navigate through some of the the things to consider, I think. I don't know if we're going to walk away with a definitive do this or do that, but I think I'd like to at least offer some things to think about. And I'll go first and then would love for you to, to chime in, Aditi. But firstly, the real problem or question I should say here is, do we would we benefit more right now from a lump sum mm-hmm. cash infusion into our lives or would we rather take advantage of cash flow, monthly cash flow? It's almost like when you win the lottery, like yep. they ask you, do you want to get the lump yep. sum or do you want to get the annuity, the cash payment every month. And, and in that scenario, usually the best advice is to take the lump sum. Right. Life is unpredictable. Take it. Even if you don't know what you need to do with this money right now, you don't have a need for it, invest it. Right. And and so that's the first question sort of is like, what would make you more fulfilled? What would sort of help you sleep better at night? I personally like lump sum yeah. because to me, that feels like I'm more in control of whatever decision I'm going to make later in life, even mm-hmm. though right now nothing is like I have to do anything with this money. But maybe in six months, I realize, oh, I do want to make an addition 
to the home or I want to increase my retirement accounts, increase my college savings for our child. And that lump sum can accelerate that money move versus the $2,000 a month. So that's the first thing. What are sort of your goals? Do you need to fill in any gaps? Would this money come in handy? Maybe not now, but in six months or in the year. Secondly, do you want to be a landlord? Yeah, that's that's a very valid point. Right? Mm-hmm. I've been so, there. Mm-hmm. Even if you love the idea of like an extra $2,000 a month that will give you more breathing room in your budget, but that comes at a cost. That comes at the cost of your time, your energy spent, maintaining this home, dealing with a tenant who may or may not be great. Right. Um, Finding so, a tenant. You, what's that? Finding a tenant. Finding a tenant, right. So, you know, becoming an investor essentially as a property investor, which is what, which is what you're going to take on. A lot of people in this country, in this world have benefited from that. I think about it sometimes, but you have to know yourself and also be prepared for all those uncertainties, right? Like yeah. maybe right now, a great rental market where you're at, but maybe not in, in a few years. And to your husband's point, prices are really hot right now. Right. You may not get that in five years. So I'm kind of leaning towards the husband, although I don't want to say yes or no definitively, but I'm, because again, this is my personal preference. So I love this because I'm actually kind of leaning towards the the other person. Yeah. So, so tell me why. So, you know, I, I look at this sort of on two levels. The first is financially, if you were sort of a, be, be a number cruncher and wanted to think about it, the thing that gets me excited here is that mortgage uh, costs right now are so low um, and the interest rates are so low that it is a great time to go get a mortgage. Um, and, and to, you know, to, if that, if that's the route that you want to take. So my instinct here would to say, would, would be to say, look, go get a mortgage, um, hold on to this home and see if you can truly get the kind of rental income that you want to get. You, you made a really important point though here. Rental prices have really changed in the last 12 months, frankly, even in the last six months. So I would want to gut check whether they really can get that 2000 per month in rental income. Because in, you know, in San Francisco alone, we've seen a 31% drop in rent. So if that's a pretty significant drop. So crunch those numbers again and be sure that that's the number that you can truly uh, sort of be at peace with. And then the other thing, and this was a reality I faced, was how do you deal with the dynamic if the unit sits empty? Are you going to be stressing out about that or are you in fact going to be okay if the unit goes unrented for, let's say, six months? So I think I like the idea of holding on to the home. I actually love monthly payments rather than lump sums because I think one of the challenges with lump sums, it can, it can be very disruptive to your life. You're like, oh, great, I got this whole you know, infusion of cash and you might increase your lifestyle and suddenly that becomes unsustainable once the lump sum runs out. So I, I love the idea of incremental increases every month. And frankly, the stock market is incredibly high. So investing that lump sum right now may not be the best investment, but rather leaving it in your home, which is a different type of equity and a different kind of investment might be a really healthy sort of diversification tactic. That said, love, yeah, the one point I want to make here, which, which is really important is, you know, this listener's point about not necessarily agreeing with their husband. I think that there's a financial component of this decision that we just talked through, but the emotional one is just as important. It sounds like this person and their partner have different comfort levels with financial risk. And I think it's incredibly important to acknowledge that that sort of difference and discuss what 
would make each partner feel like they're being heard and making this decision as a team. So for Mm -hmm. example, in this case, does the husband want the cash from the home sale for some other reason that isn't clear? And if not the home sale, is there another way for this couple to address the husband's concerns? You know, in us chatting with a, a lot of families over the last couple of months, a lot of folks have been just like, oh, I just want a nest egg. I need, I need to know that there's something that I can lean on if one of us loses our job or something terrible happens that we didn't even imagine. So that might be playing into the husband's sort of, you know, requests more than this listener realizes. So some homework for you, Anonymous. Loved everything you said. I think a good first step from here is to go back and kind of discuss, if you haven't already, why do we feel the way that we do? Mm-hmm. Numbers aside, you know, your husband's made the case that prices are so hot right now, it's the time to sell. But beyond that, what is his concern uh, about not offloading this house? What, what are the things that he is concerned about? Secondly, what would each path, whether you rent and keep it as an investment or sell, what could each path potentially afford you? Mm-hmm. If you do get that $2,000 a month, what, do you, what are you going to do with it? And if you do get the lump sum, what are you going to do with it? And you don't have to do anything anything immediately, but this, I think, will instigate a conversation around goals and your future and maybe identifying some some holes to fill in your financial life. You know, maybe the middle ground here, Oddity, is just to not do anything right away and let 2021 go by and then make a decision. There's no rush here. Uh, They don't have to sell. They don't have to rent. And and that's the beauty of, and I think, a gift of all of the great work that they have done in paying off the mortgage and saving is that they don't feel like they're stuck. Yeah, they have optionality. It's one of mm-hmm. the best things uh, anyone can do for themselves is create optionality. The one thing I will say, though, because I have experiences to, in my own way, is that you know I had a a place I was living in, a place that I bought in my 20s, mm-hmm. and then... Uh, around 2009, I started renting it out. It was a studio. And I myself began renting an apartment. Mm-hmm. And then time passed. And at the time I was engaged and we thought, let's, my husband and I thought, let's buy something. Mm-hmm. And I decided, should I hold on to that studio or should I continue to rent it out? I ended up holding on to it. And then a couple of years later, selling it. And and what I realized when I went to sell it finally, after having rented it for so many years, it's now classified as an investment property. So the mm-hmm. tax implications are different. So mm-hmm. if you know you want to sell it, do it sooner than later, because I think after a couple of years of renting it out, That's it right. technically becomes an investment property and you right. will base taxes versus now if you just sell it, you, you the tax implication is is not much. It, it, this is like a math exercise in some ways, you know, on, on the dollars and cents side. But like you said, it, it, this is also a philosophical conversation that they need to have is mm-hmm. what do they want uh, with that cash? What, like you said, what goals do they have that they need to achieve together that this cash would help them do? Or is it healthier or more helpful to them right now? to have sort of this, you know, monthly infusion of cash that helps them improve their lifestyle in some small way. Yeah. Like my parents had an investment property nearby and they rented it out for many years. But now as they're approaching retirement, it doesn't make sense. They've paid off their mortgage. Let's offload this, use the proceeds to pay down our primary mortgage and just have a simpler balance sheet. 
For sure. And so it really does depend, depends on your life stage. Well, hopefully we've given you a lot to think about, but not overcomplicated things for yeah. you, Anonymous. Yeah. And hopefully anyone listening can also uh, take some notes. Okay, next question is from, and I, I apologize in advance if I mispronounce your name. And maybe you know how to pronounce it, Aditi. I'm going to uh, guess here and I'm going to say Vaish. Vaish. It's a female. Okay. Okay. Vaish on Instagram wrote in and said, Hey, I've been a longtime listener of your show, Farnoosh. I started listening to it when I moved to the US from India three years ago. I graduated with an MBA last May and I have been working ever since. The pandemic was not kind to my job prospects. So right now I live paycheck to paycheck. Mm. Last year was stressful. I couldn't meet my family back in India and now I can't even support them financially because all of my savings go towards student debt. I have been thinking about a YouTube channel to record my financial journey and also to generate a passive income, but I can't bring myself to start. I don't feel confident. I just want to know your thoughts. Well, you know, you, you're asking the right person, yeah. <laughs> the right people here, I should say. Both Aditi and I are big fans of financial content and, and passive income. I mean, I think that it would be wonderful to hear from Vaish and have her be a voice in this community. I don't think there's enough. We need more diversity, first of all. And I think that what you have experienced is not unlike what other people currently are experiencing to be able to share your journey through this would be so helpful to so many people. That's a no brainer. The question is, how does she sort of take on this role of quote unquote, maybe expert? So many people have done it. And I think that you don't have to worry about coming across as this like super confident person. I think your vulnerability is what's going to drive this. Exactly right. This this channel and and being very honest about what you know and what you don't know and your community kind of going on this ride with you. Before you start though, think about is it the YouTube channel that I want to do or is it some other way of expressing your journey? There's so many content platforms, right? You could do YouTube, but you could do a podcast. You could do a blog. You could do Instagram. You don't have to do it all at once. But my first advice would be to go towards the platform that excites you the most. You know, I chose a podcast six years ago versus YouTube or a blog because I thought that that was more my speed. And for the kinds of conversations that I wanted to have, the podcast made most sense. So don't feel like you have to do the YouTube thing because that's what you think is the natural first step. Right. Right. You know, I I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, the first thing I wanted to say is I really admire the creativity of this listener. And student debt, as we can all agree, can truly be soul crushing. So right there with you. um, But the the point that I would make, and I think you're getting at this, Farnoosh, is, is the why. The product person in me is always like, get to the why first. And it sounds like this listener is feeling some financial pressure and wants to be able to share uh, you know, some of the proceeds of their, their income with their family back home in, 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 in India. So one of my, one of the things that I would recommend here is what if before you even got to YouTube or the podcast or any other beans, you started even with a smaller step. Um, and one of the things that I love to suggest, and I suggest this to everyone I, I chat with who, who asks me about this is the simplest side hustle I know which is you walk around your house for 30 minutes looking for stuff you no longer want. 
that pair of designer sunglasses you bought but never wear, the Instapot you swore you'd use, or even the old phone that you haven't done anything with. And put those five items on eBay or Craigslist or OfferUp or whatever platform you prefer to use and use that as a way to start generating some income and also to build your confidence so that you can start to get comfortable with the idea of having the side hustle, creating the time for it, and then frankly, coming up with the system to generate that cash. And then at the end of that whole process, you have cash that you can do something with, whether that's investing in this new YouTube channel that you want to get up and running. And, And the reason I suggest something like this is just because if confidence is something that's holding you back, have a quick win right in front of you that you can latch onto and use as a stepping stone to get you where you're trying to go. The other point I would make here, and I think this is a really popular topic, at least at least when I teach personal finance, is this question about passive income. It was actually where I started. So maybe us Indians, we just have this natural tendency towards these. Things. And you know, I interviewed Ramit Sethi on Wednesday this <laughs> week, and we talked about passive income. I love it. I love it. So it must be a pattern. Um, but the truth is that, you know, very few things are truly passive and require some upkeep. So really ask yourself, and this is sort of going back to your earlier point with, with um, you know, our first question, but ask yourself, what's actually viable for you in terms of investment, effort, and expertise? So even though we've heard about all types of passive income ideas, I just heard about a Shopify store the other day that brings in uh, $10,000 a month of revenue or an ebook that went, went viral. The truth is that these things require a decent amount of cutting through the noise. So you want to have a really clear goal as to who is going to pay you and for what. Um, If I were to start a passive income thing, I think Ramit Ramit and I feel very similarly about this. I'd probably build some kind of education product that you could buy or download very easily. But the key here is really knowing how you're going to find your customers and also realizing that that takes effort in and of itself. Yeah. I think the misconception, and we talked about this on Wednesday with Ramit, with regards to passive income is that there's a lot of work that goes into creating a system that then generates the quote unquote passive income. But it's not to say that it goes abandoned. You don't just sort of leave it alone. uh, Yeah. Alone. You have to nurture it. You have to test it, all of the things. And so not to discourage, but I think it's great. I love that exercise of going around the house. I'm looking at my bedroom right now, <laughs> pointing <laughs> out a few things. I'm like that, this, um, yep. it is definitely confidence boosting. And again, I, I really want to encourage you to pursue this Vaish, because you, you'd make the world a better place, frankly. Absolutely. And Vaish, if this helps at all, I will tell you that when I started on this journey around couples finances, the only stories I really had were my own because no one else would tell me their stuff. And as we got deeper and deeper into it, couples suddenly started telling me their stories. And I realized that a lot of the insecurities or anxieties or pressures or questions that we were trying to tackle together between me and my husband were the exact same ones that other people were navigating. And that gave me the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to talk more about my story with other people, even though some days I'm, I'm like amazed that my husband doesn't get mad that I say the things that I say out loud. I mean, I know Farnish, you and you're similar with Tim and it's like amazing to have partners in life who let you share that kind of information. But I will say is that, you know, having that commonality, having the sort of tough moments together is, is something that people really appreciate. Yes. 
Okay, moving on. Our next question, Kirby on Instagram says, Hey, Farnoosh, your podcast has positively changed my life. I've listened to every single episode. Oh my gosh. I think there should be an an award for that. I don't know (laughs) what to give this person, but hopefully uh, just giving them access to the show is is helpful. She says she's currently listening in from Singapore, or I don't actually if it's a female or a male, but in any case, here's the question. I work for a large Fortune 500 company that allows employees to purchase company stock monthly at a discount. Mm. I've been buying the stock for many years and now at a career point where I receive additional stock as performance bonuses. Incredible. I'm hesitant. Yeah. Where do you work? Tell us. First of all, congratulations on getting there. I know. So the question is... uh, Kirby is hesitant to have so much money tied to one company stock. Mm-hmm. At what point should I stop participating in the monthly stock discount and instead invest that money in another avenue like an ETF or an index fund? Well, I do remember the rule of thumb in this. Pardon, you missed the best part. A million thanks. As oh. <laughs> I got that sign off. I love puns. So I, was just, I read that and I was like, that is amazing. A million thanks. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. I yeah, I, I mute sometimes the uh, the exuberance that my <laughs> listeners share with me in their questions. It feels it feels like a bit like I'm like I'm bragging too much. <laughs> no, but, but I loved it. The pun on the million and oof, it's too good. Yeah. Well, Kirby, so do not invest more than 10% of your of your net worth, your investment portfolio in any one particular stock. Mhm or investment or mm-hmm. asset. And in that in case, it does also include your company stock. If you recall 2008, those who worked for places like Lehman Brothers, right. catastrophe. And and frankly, it, even more recently, some of the WeWork employees really struggled when the, when the company valuation tanked at the last second. Yeah. And then just the other day, I was having a conversation with a friend who was negotiating a salary uh, a salary bump with his company. And they were like, well, we'll give you company stock instead of money. And I was like, could you get the money and the company stock? Because the company stock does not pay the bills. Right. And, okay. you know, and it's not, it's not consistent and it's not guaranteed, right. you know, where you get it, where you get in now versus when you cash out, if you, you know, I was like, is your company even going to go public? Cause that's right. really right. the only time you would benefit. And so, for you, Kirby, I think if you're going to continue to get stock as performance bonus, thank you to your boss. But you know, I wouldn't continue to um, opt in uh, and use more of your dollars right. to buy this stock, even though it comes at a discount, 15% discount, which is nice. But yeah. I think you've sort of maxed that out. You've optimized. I, I totally agree with you. And that was the exact same sort of approach that I was taking. And I was going to say, I have talked to folks who are willing to be more risky. If you're younger and you're willing to push past that 10% number, um, I've certainly seen folks do that. But I would acknowledge that you are starting to get into sort of riskier areas when you do that. Um, the other thing I would also say is that one of the things that I do find is that if you know you, you tend to see these stock performance um, plans often in tech, and in tech, we often tell folks, oh, you should be diversifying, you should be diversifying. But as someone who lives in tech, you know, it's, it can be really hard to diversify because even if I buy a house in San Francisco, that's still very much attached to tech, as we have seen in 2020. So one of the things that you just want to think about is when you look at the alternative options outside of your company stock, think about whether or not that, you know, if you're in tech, for example, whether or not that's potentially outside of the tech realm 
Or if you want to stay within tech, at least you're looking at, say, an Amazon versus Air, an Airbnb or a Facebook rather than Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and all those. So by the way, when are you going to IPO? <laughs> I know, right? Tomorrow. It seems yeah. like 2021 is hot for that. 2021 is a good, a good year for IPOs. All right. Last but not least, Anthony emails, and you can email me at uh, the So Money Podcast website, if you just go there and click on Ask Farnoosh, drop in your question, it goes right into my inbox. Anthony says, Hey, Farnoosh, I recently discovered your podcast and it's been a real game changer. A bit about me. I'm a 43-year-old man in Los Angeles. It took me a very long time to quote unquote, get on my feet financially. Through my 20s and even into my 30s, I struggled with money, including bouts of homelessness, but was finally able to land a good job about 10 years ago that allowed me to pay down debt and rebuild my credit. I'm reaching a fairly comfortable position now with some money in the bank, no debt, and even a little bit of retirement savings. Love this story. Love this. This is, I mean, this is rags to riches. Wow. And, you know, we get these are the people that come on my show as guests with their stories because they need to be told. Now, here's his question. I find so much financial advice is geared toward millennials who want to retire early. I read. Yeah. (laughs) You know, which is interesting because when I started in this industry 20 years ago, it was not nothing was geared towards young people. It was all towards the boomers and the Gen Xers. And he says, okay, um. I read I Will Teach You to Be Rich, again, by our friend Ramit. And that book spends a lot of time on how much farther ahead you are if you start saving in your 20s as opposed to in your 40s. But what if you're on the wrong end of that comparison? Mm -hmm. As someone approaching his mid-40s who still wants to retire in about 20 years, what steps should I be taking to prepare myself for financial independence if I'm pretty far off track? Yeah. This is a great question. I know a lot of people listening are in this camp. I do get questions from time to time from listeners. You know, I'm not Gen Z. I'm not Gen Y. I'm a boomer or I'm Gen X. And I feel like we are the forgotten generation when it comes to personal financial advice. So I appreciate this question. I mean, the first thing I would just say to Anthony is continue doing what you're doing. But if you are behind with retirement because you struggled in your 20s and your 30s, Given that we know that the standard financial advice is allocate, you know, 10, 15% of your salary towards retirement, you might want to double that. Now that you're in your 40s, the percentage, if you're looking for a quote unquote savings rate right now, it's 20% or 25% of your salary. I know that sounds like a lot and it is a lot. But you're, you're jumping hurdles here and you have to kind of do that in order to still, quote unquote, retire on time. And then I would also encourage you to think about a revenue stream that you can maintain in your 60s, maybe even into your 70s. And it, not to say that you're going to do the nine to five grind or stay at your company, but what's sort of a retirement job mm-hmm. that could be a tangent of what you're doing now? Maybe it's teaching, consulting. We talked about the passive income earlier in the show, but there's the entire gig economy. We've seen actually a lot of folks in the older generation jump into the gig economy. Some folks, not because they needed to, but because they were bored. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. We're living longer. If we've led healthy lives, by the time we're 65, we're not ready to just sit on our hands. Staying connected, friendships, keeping your mind active. It's a factor of longevity. So I encourage everyone 
not just those in their 40s and 50s, but everyone as they plan for retirement, plan for that revenue stream as well in retirement. Uh, What else would you tell Anthony? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, I think this is a great question and a great point, Anthony. And as someone guilty of giving financial advice primarily to millennials, um, I I sort of really appreciate you asking this question. Um, When I sit back and think about what advice I've shared with older friends and family, I think one of the things that's really obvious to me is that I've actually not shared different advice necessarily. And what I mean by that is, Philosophically, it's still the same frameworks. You know, the things Farnoosh was talking about, like having a certain amount saved every month, automating your finances. This is something that Ramit is big on, uh, are, are all principles that I would still highly recommend um, to someone who is your age. But that said, the big difference in my advice is really the type of risk that I suggest. So, for example, if you were someone younger, I might say, hey, you know, go invest in the market because you're investing over the long run. So you're thinking about five to 10 years or maybe even longer. And in the market tends to sort of move up and to the right over longer periods of time. If you're older and might think you might want to keep need that cash for certain expenses or whatever it is that you might want to do, then I suggest taking a little less risk um, and and really starting to focus on thinking about, oh, in this instance, for example, if we were listener number one who was thinking about whether or not to sell their house, I might recommend that you actually sell that house, get that cash amount now so that you have access to that lump sum when and if you need it over the next couple of years. So I think the risk your risk equation is really what changes um, as you get older and you have to start thinking about, you know, less aggressive strategies and more sort of middle of the road or even more, frankly, um, conservative strategies like fixed income assets that you can leverage. Yes. And 20 years you at least still have, which is a lot of time. And again, it's still a lot of time. You can, and look at how far you've come, look at all the wrongs you've righted in your life up until this point. Um, This person is clearly creative and clearly can hustle. So, you know, you still have time to figure out that retirement equation. Yeah. And keep the questions coming, Anthony. I want to know how we can continue to support you. And I, my, my goal in 2021 for this podcast is to become more issue-driven, news-driven, topic-driven. And one of the things at this point I can be certain that of is that addressing the Gen Xers, which I'm kind of on the cusp there. I'm, I'm like, someone told me that I'm a Zennial. That's anyone born between like 1980 and 1984. Amazing. Where you're kind of like straddling both generations. So this matters to me too, is being more conscious that there are those in the audience that are sort of midlife and need to get a different set of advice or different sort of framework, maybe yeah. a little bit for their, yeah. for their future. Aditi, thank you so much for so coming fun. on. You're really good at crystallizing and giving clarity around personal finance. Well, thank I've you learned so from much. the best. Let's oh. just start there. <laughs> No, no, no. Tell us all about how we can get more of your advice. I know you're all over the place too. You're not just running a company, but you're you're out there giving a lot of advice on many platforms. Yeah, we're lucky. We're lucky. We get to team up with folks like Real Simple and um, you know, and Business Insider and Refinery Twenty Nine. So th- I appreciate so much all of these publications uh, giving us a platform to share a point of view. But yes, please check us out at um, you know at assdata.com, and you can always tweet at me. I'm at, at to shake her uh, on Twitter. And I love, love, love questions, comments, uh, or even just 
plain, plain old feedback. <laughs> That's askzeta.com. Aditi, happy new year. I'm going to say that with an exclamation point. <laughs> Because from our lips to God's ears. I please. I know. Everybody listening, thank you for tuning in. And I hope your weekend is so money. 